Thank you, everyone. You may be seated. And thank you for, for singing along with me. Somewhere along the road about a week and a half ago when Sandy and I were in Pennsylvania, we both caught something from someone and we know who is responsible. Our grandkids. <laughs> but we can't say that to them because, you know, how do you go to your four and a half year old and say, it's all your fault that I've lost my voice. But uh, good morning, everybody. Once again, Shabbat Shalom. My message today, it'll be a brief one. But it's going to be powerful. Rosh Hashanah and the book of Revelation. Can you imagine that there might be a correlation between the two? Imagine that. And it shouldn't be any surprise. Because as I've said many times here at the congregation, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, just understand three pillars or three themes. One is the coronation of the king. Two, the bridegroom coming back for his bride. And three, the biblical festivals. As many of you know, there are seven biblical festivals in the book of Leviticus. Four in the spring to early summer. And another three in the fall. And each and every one of these festivals, these themes are mentioned in various places in the book of Revelation. So we're going to talk about that. Just before we do, though, I want to talk about some customs that we have, just two or three customs, during the time of Rosh Hashanah that you might not be familiar with. The reason that I want to spend time on this is because when we had our Elif Rosh Hashanah services last night, at the end of the service, and I think we have it here, we have challah that is round, challah bread that is round, and we also have apples and honey and, and all of those other wonderful things. And, and the look on people's faces were, wow, this is different. Why is this night different from all other nights? I'm like, no, no, that's Passover. This is Rosh Hashanah. So we're going to talk about why those particular customs in a minute. But let's go on to the first couple of customs, the first traditions over here. That on the left side is round challah or egg bread. Normally it is, it is uh, stretched out like this. But during Rosh Hashanah, it's in a circle, and we sweeten it up with raisins or chocolate chips or, 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 by the way, just so you know, and this is one of the reasons I cannot wait for my wife to return home. She's still in Pennsylvania uh, because now that, uh, you know, her stepmom passed away, she's spending a little bit of time with dad, but she's coming home on Wednesday night, and I cannot wait to have her back for several reasons, not the least of which is that since this is Rosh Hashanah and it's time to eat sweet challah, she makes a cinnamon bun challah like nobody's business. So I'm waiting. And, uh, but you have this because the challah is round, and you say, well, why make it round? Round is an unbroken circle, and it's a reminder of the unbroken circle of years that go on year after year. The cyclical nature, if you will, of life. As we go from one year to another, in this case, we just left the year 5783, and now we're in the year 5784. During Rosh Hashanah, we always pray and we ask the Lord, may it be a sweet year, and that's why you have the raisins or the chocolate chips, because you sweeten up the loaf with various things. Over here in the middle, of course, you have a young man blowing the shofar, and then on the right, you have apples and honey, and, and you do that because, again, you desire to taste that which is sweet. The apple is a representation 
of the sweetness of the land of Israel. There's also another tradition go, uh, that goes on during Rosh Hashanah, and here's where we start to kind of get into the book of Revelation, even though most people don't even know that it has everything to do with it. Let me show you. It's called Tashlich. And at Tashlich, and by the way, this is a shot of Granada Park, here in Phoenix. Granada Park is down like around 20th Avenue, around the Missouri area, not too far from the, the, the Biltmore area. And what these folks are doing here at, at Granada Park is they've all come by the lake and they have breadcrumbs or little pebbles in their pockets. If you see folks gathering by a lake and they've got breadcrumbs or pebbles in their pockets, y'all know what time it is. It's Rosh Hashanah. There is a custom on Rosh Hashanah to engage in Tashlik. Let me explain what this is. During Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets, the idea is to engage in yet another Hebrew word, Teshuvah, a turning, to turn away from sin and to turn to God. You show that in a visible or tangible way when you get to a lake or a body of water by reaching into your pocket, taking those breadcrumbs or pebbles, a, a symbolic of sin, and throwing the sin into the lake, or throwing that sin into the water, or back into the water where it belongs. Why do I say where it belongs? Well, I want you to follow me on this. Let's take a look at our next slide. This is part of where this practice comes from. It's from the book of Micah, chapter 7, verse 19. It says, the Lord will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. You, Lord God, will throw their sins into the depths of the sea. Why would the sea or the ocean or the, uh, the, the body of water be the repository of sin? Uh, let's take this a step further. Let's take a look, everybody, at Revelation chapter 13, the first or the last part of verse 1. It says, And I saw a beast coming out of what? Of the sea. It had ten horns, seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. So, should we think that it's just coincidence that here in the Old Testament we have a practice coming out from the book of Micah that basically says, use the sea, use the ocean as a place where the sins go into. And the book of Revelation prophesies that one day the epitome of sin itself, the beast, will come back out of the sea. To sin will try to rise its ugly head again. That everything we've tried to do and the sin we've tried to cast away, we will be reminded of it once again. And here it is in Revelation 13, chapter 1. Do you see how this is a reminder and points to a practice that so many are engaging in today as they desire to cast away something symbolic of sin? Could you have ever imagined that it would be in the book of Revelation? Or that this particular verse would be a reminder of a practice that takes place on this very day, on Rosh Hashanah. Now, before we go on to the next few slides, I want to talk about another practice or tradition that takes place during this particular time of the High Holy Days. And I will tell you, I think last night when we descended the service, we had about 85 people. So we had quite a few people who showed up and we're so glad that they did. I want to let you know that last night was our Christmas. Okay, let me explain. There are, and many of you know folks like this, and this is not a criticism, this is just a fact, this is just an observation. 
There are many, many Christians who you never see in the house of worship except at Christmas and Easter. That's just a fact. Again, no judgment here. It's just the way it is. Well, we Jews have our Christmas and Easter. And that would be the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. And then 10 days later on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. So last night, I haven't seen Pia. There, there were people there who came, and I haven't seen some of them in like, yeah, about a year. And then 10 days from now on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, I'm going to see some more people coming. And it'll be great. It'll be a wonderful reunion. But I also will have not seen them for about oh, a year. And the next time I see them will be next Rosh Hashanah and next Yom Kippur. It's just simply the way that it is. Why is Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, if you will, our Christmas? Well, a number of reasons, of course. Rosh Hashanah is where we are reminded to turn from sin and turn to God. But also, between that 10-day period of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, there is a belief in Jewish understanding, but we'll see it in a few minutes in the book of Revelation, that during this time on Rosh Hashanah, God has books that are open. Three books, if you will. The book of life, the book of death, and the book of... I'm not sure what to do with you yet. So right now you're in that book. And eventually when we get to Yom Kippur, I'm going to decide which one of the other two I'm going to write you in. And so the whole idea in Jewish tradition, but again you'll find it in Revelation, is that when Rosh Hashanah comes, you make sure that you make that concerted effort to turn from sin and turn to God and make a firm decision to do that. Because by the time 10 days later Yom Kippur comes, Whatever decision you've made is final. The gates, if you will, in Hebrew, the Elah, the gates close. And that's pretty much it. Interesting how it's Jewish tradition, this idea of books. But yet what even many Jewish people don't know is that, guys, you know how I say a lot of times we had it first? Flip it, because in this particular situation, you had it first. And let me show you. As we go on here, and we understand, by the way, I just want to reflect a little bit more on the beast. The beast that brings sin out of the sea, a total corruption of this festival. And one reason people engage in Tashlik and pass their sins back into the sea. But let's take a look at some of the language that refers to books that we just spoke about. First of all, in Exodus 32, verses 33 through 35, here we have... Obviously, the people, and we know what goes on here, they are about to worship a golden calf. Not everybody wants to follow the Lord. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague. Why? Because of what they did with the calf. Aaron had made. So we see, obviously, a pattern in here of judgment to come and books being opened and God deciding which book you'll be written into. Let's see the connection in Revelation where because of the people's disobedience, they worship something else that was not God. Here it is in Revelation 13, last part of verse 2 through verse 4. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon, just like worshipping the golden calf. 
because he'd given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast, again, not God, and asked, look at the question that they asked. Here it is, everybody. Who is like the beast? This is one reason why last night during our Rosh Hashanah services on Erev Rosh Hashanah, we all sang one song. Who is like you, O Lord, our God? Why do we ask that on Rosh Hashanah? Because we're reminded that at a future time when judgment comes because of people's disobedience and God deciding what book to write them in, they instead will be asking, who is like the beast? And when we sing, no, Lord God, who is like you? We are saying that will never stand in our lives as believers. Rosh Hashanah language here in Revelation 13. Let's go on now. And we see it says in Exodus 32, verses 25 through 27, Moses saw the people running wild and how Aaron had let them get out of control and become a laughing stock to their enemies. This is worship of the golden calf. So he stood at the entrance to the camp saying, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. All the Levites rallied to him. And then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Listen to this. Each man strap a sword to his side Go through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. Let me show you the connection here. You have disobedience on the part of the people who are worshiping a false god, and the penalty is the sword. Mere coincidence that that's the same pattern that will follow many, many years later here in the book of Revelation. Chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Follow the pattern with me. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear this. If anyone is to go into captivity, then in captivity they will go. But look at this. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they will be killed. You see that the pattern of disobedience from Exodus and the pattern repeated here is exactly the same. And yet those who do not obey and who do not worship God, but who ask, who is like you the beast, will not be written in the book of life. As we go on, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, this is the good news. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. All here who do not worship the beast, who do not stray from the Lord, but who indeed are firm in their conviction of turning away from sin and turn to him. And it's more than words, it's just actions. We've got such good news for you. He will never erase your names from the book of life, but he will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Wow. Is there another slide? Yeah. Revelation 2015. I think, Cameron, this is probably the last one, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now you know why this is our Christmas and our Easter. Now you know why it's so important, not only to come, of course, every Shabbat, but particularly during the time of the festivals, to make a commitment to the Lord to turn away from sin and turn to Him because the book... It's not simply, or the two or three books, it's not simply a Jewish tradition. It's a reminder that, yes, one day judgment will come, and God will decide which book we are to be written in, and which book we are not to be written in. And so it's not just a cause to repent, but it's a cause for acceptance. 
And along those lines, it's an excellent opportunity for me to do what's called an altar call. Because you know what? We need to do that a lot more often. Amen. A lot more often. And, and, and let me just say something as I do. It, it, it occurred to me recently that, you know, from time to time when I've shared this particular message, I mean, not, not this teaching, but, but this message in this, this altar call, if you will, that I've shared that, you know, you think about this. You have God who loved you so much to create you. You're here because you have a God who loves you. I mean, he says it, uh, and I think it's in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Uh, I, I may be wrong here. Don't hold me on this. Chapter 48, where, where the Lord says, you know, I created the heavens. And I made and formed the earth so that it would be inhabited by you. In other words, the reason that there's heaven, the reason that there's earth, is because God wanted, wanted to have, give you a place where you might not just dwell, not just live, not just hang out, but a place where he could enter into a relationship with you and create you. Now think about this. If you have a God who loved you so much to do that, that he made all of this for you, do you really think when life is over and all said and done that he's going to say, well, you served your purpose by, there's no hope, there's no destiny for you. It's not a loving God. It totally contradicts the fact that earth exists and so do all the heavens. And so after all is said and done, there is a heaven. It is a real place. And he desires that you be back there with him. And there is one path that takes you there. Acceptance of the sacrifice of his one and only son. Jewish, by the way, not a demand. Yeshua, who shed his blood so that in acknowledgement of his blood, and let's face it, we don't have any problem doing that. Our ancestors did that when they sacrificed animals. <laughs> And brought those animals to a tabernacle to be sacrificed. It's always been that way. And now with Yeshua, our once and for all sacrifice, which still is that way. And that's how your sins are cleansed. And that's how you get to a place that's sinless, which heaven is. And if we have sin, we can't get there. It just doesn't jive. There has to be a way for our sins to be gone. Oftentimes, when I told people that plan, they, they, they bristled at it. They said, well, you know, I kind of think that there are many, many paths to God. I'm not sure I want to go in that direction. And here's my response to you, just in case you're one of them. What is it exactly about that wonderful and beautiful plan of a God who loved you so much to create you, a God who loves you so much to want you back, a God who provided his only son to shed his blood so that you wouldn't have to take the pain. He did all that so that by believing in him, you would have access to heaven. My gosh, that's such a beautiful plan. Okay, you don't want that one? You got a better one? Exactly. Is there a, is there a better one? Well, I don't want that plan. I want a better one. Somebody give me a better one. You can't. And I've asked so many people. And they can't. And take the most wonderful and beautiful plan that God has ever given you. That promise of salvation through his son, Yeshua. And you know what? Even though probably in about, I don't know, five minutes, ten minutes or so, yeah, I've got to make an early departure. I've got to run to the airport and catch an airplane, standard operating procedure sometimes for your red life this time of year since I also serve with Jewish Sports Ministries. But in a few minutes, I'm going to invite Ileana to come on up. We'll have just a wonderful time of dance to celebrate in our Rosh Hashanah. 
And guess what? Before I go, if you want to chat for a few minutes, maybe want me to give you a call to talk more about what I just said, I will do that. We'll spend time and we won't rush. And even though I may not be here, Linwood and Audrey are here. So you feel free after the service. And Daniel and Lisa are here too. If you have some questions about what I just shared about, you can, you can talk to them as well. God bless everyone. Shabbat shalom. Ileana, would you bring the dancers up? Let's give God all the praise. Shabbat shalom, everyone. This is how to get there.